Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This week on Viewpoints. We know food is so important, not only to feed our bodies, but to feed our souls and feed our spirits. The cost of rising food prices as the holidays quickly approach. Then... My grandmother was always preparing stews and soups, and there was always rice puffing away in our rice cooker. The familiar feel of Korean fare. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Did you know that United Healthcare helps connect you to doctors and therapists with 24-7 access to virtual care? So I could have therapy from my couch? Yep. Or a doctor appointment from my car? If you wanted to. Wait, you're right. I don't even like when people see me sing in the car. Couch appointment it is. Virtual visits are just one of the ways United Healthcare helps connect you to better health. Learn more at UHC.com. Plan benefits may vary. Whether you're vaccinated or not, it's important to know the symptoms of COVID and its variants. Fever is the leading sign and only the Exergen Temporal Scanner Thermometer has been proven accurate with more than 100 clinical studies. Non-contact thermometers have no clinical evidence behind them and cannot be relied on. Be vigilant and seek medical advice at the first sign of fever. Be accurate with Exergen. Learn more at exergen.com. That's exergen.com. Food prices have steadily ticked upwards at grocery stores across the U.S. in recent months. If you compare last August to this August, prices across the board are up 4.5%, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And in some regions, prices are even higher. For cities, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that the cost of meat, poultry, fish, and eggs is up 15% since the start of 2020. Experts are saying that this unusual jump is due to rising labor costs and supply chain issues caused by the pandemic. Unfortunately, these inflated price tags are not expected to go down anytime soon. So, what does this mean? For Americans in the middle class, this increase is frustrating, but they're able to get by. However, for low-income people working minimum-wage jobs, it's unsustainable and means further cuts to an already pared-down grocery list. Wealthier families actually spend so little of their income on food, something like 10%, versus low-income families are already spending about a third of their money on food each month. So these rising food prices actually present a really serious issue, and they also expose I think a truth that's existed for years, but we don't talk about it. And that's that rising food prices and the rising cost of living in general have been an issue for low-income families because neither food assistance benefits nor wages have really increased at the same pace of food prices 
for a long time, and now especially with the surges that we're seeing. That's Dr. Priya Fielding Singh, a sociologist and assistant professor in the Department of Family and Consumer Studies at the University of Utah. She's also the author of the new book, How the Other Half Eats. When you are food insecure, when you're not sure that you're going to be able to gather enough food for yourself or for your children, you're going to prioritize maximizing calories and quantity because the last thing that you want to happen is that you run out of food and there's nothing to feed your child that night. But what that does is often the most calorically dense, energy dense, and cheapest foods are the least healthy. And so what the experience of food insecurity does, what having to go through that does is it puts a parent in a really difficult position where they're making trade-offs and where, and oftentimes they're incentivized to buy less healthy food because they can get more of it. She says that food assistance programs like SNAP and WIC aimed at low-income families are not enough and continue to fall further behind as food prices rise. About 80% of SNAP dollars are used up within the first two weeks of a month. And what then parents are left with is that they have the remaining two weeks where they're trying to make ends meet and trying to maximize the amount that they can get on a very small amount of money. And again, this leads parents very economically, rationally to choose to buy the foods that are less healthy, but also more affordable. And also really importantly, foods that they know their kids will like and eat. The last thing anyone wants to do is waste food. For parents who are strapped for money and time, it's easier to go with the options that they know will be eaten. This often means purchasing less produce and more processed foods at the store. Another resource that people rely on to round out their grocery supply is the local food bank. In research for her book, Fielding Singh spent many hours with several low-income families dealing with food insecurity. There was a view of food banks as something that one went to when there was truly no other option. You know, I spoke with low-income mothers who told me who had run out of their SNAP benefits, had run out of their WIC benefits, and even so, they told me, no, I don't want to take that food because someone who really needs it could use it. So I think that speaks to just kind of the perception of what food banks are for. They really are considered among low-income families to be an emergency. And there's also, as we know, a stigma around using food banks. Despite this stigma around food banks, more Americans are using this resource in recent years. Zuwani Villarreal is the Director of Communication at Feeding America and says that last year many pantries and shelters saw record demand during the peak of the pandemic. Feeding America is a nonprofit organization that has a network of 200 food banks across the country, feeding more than 46 million people each year. She says that there is still stigma around going to a food pantry and getting help, but this is slowly changing. I think one of the things that the pandemic did was, in a way, a form of equalizer, because families saw all over the country people were being affected by these closures and job losses, and many, many people turned to food banks, many for the first time. So last year, Feeding America estimates that about 60 million people or one in five people, turn to the charitable food sector for assistance. And in our early reporting from food banks, we estimated that about four out of every 10 families were new to food assistance, had never needed help before. 
Villarreal points out that as food prices rise across the U.S., food banks are a good place for low-income people to get more expensive items, like fresh produce, poultry, and dairy. I think the biggest misconception is that food banks distribute non-perishable food items, or exclusively non-perishable, like canned goods. But the fact is that about more than two-thirds of the items that we distribute as a food bank network is classified as promoting good health. They are lean meats, dairy, eggs, produce, healthy fruits and vegetables. We work with the ag industry to recover and rescue delicious and nutritious product. And a lot of that goes out into the communities through these food pantries. Fielding Singh points out that sometimes the offerings at food pantries can be quite niche, like a specific flavor of yogurt or packaged rice that went unsold at the grocery store. It can also be excess produce or meat that some families have never cooked with before and are unfamiliar with. However, Valeriel says more food banks are trying to diversify options so that there's something for everyone. And many locations also offer holiday items, as Thanksgiving is just around the corner. In the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, food banks will be doing turkey distributions and providing all the trimmings because we know it's, food is so important not only to feed our bodies, but to feed our souls and feed our spirits. So how can you help people dealing with food insecurity? Consider making a donation to your local food bank or volunteering your time this holiday season. Everybody does have a role to play. Foundations and corporations can support Feeding America. They can support their local food bank to continue to provide that food and source that nutritious food. Volunteers are a crucial part of a food bank operation and pantry operation, so we encourage if you're healthy and you're safe and you're comfortable enough to continue to volunteer. And then, of course, raising awareness about the issue. As we talked about stigma, helping families understand that food banks are here to help. To learn more about food insecurity, how to help this season, and our guests, Dr. Priya Fielding Singh and Zuwani Villarreal, visit viewpointsradio.org. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, exploring the cultural connection of food when Viewpoints returns. Flu season is here, and flu is similar enough to COVID-19 to create dangerous confusion. SARS-CoV-2 can result in more serious illness, but initial symptoms are often similar. Fever and chills, a cough, runny nose, and shortness of breath. COVID-19 seems to spread more easily than flu, and people are often contagious longer. Dr. Manoj Gandhi, Senior Medical Director at Thermo Fisher Scientific, says, Unfortunately, you can't tell the difference by symptoms alone. Simultaneous testing for SARS-CoV-2 and influenza viruses is essential. Multiplex PCR technology allows for testing of multiple viruses and co-infections at the same time, which provides proper diagnosis, reduces transmission of COVID-19, monitors the spread of both COVID-19 and flu, and saves valuable testing resources. Multi-pathogen PCR testing helps drive swift and accurate treatment decisions to help simultaneously manage flu season and the COVID-19 pandemic. Find out more at thermofisher.com slash COVID flu information. There's confusion about how to protect yourself from COVID. One thing is certain. Whether or not you're vaccinated, you need an accurate thermometer to check for fever, the leading sign of flu and COVID. Be vigilant and contact your medical provider at the first sign of fever. 
Don't rely on non-contact thermometers that have no scientific studies. Only the Exergen Temporal Scanner Thermometer has been proven accurate in more than 100 clinical studies. Learn more at exergen.com. Asthma symptoms can attack anywhere, like on a city street. <coughs> now you can get fast relief anywhere with new improved Primatine Mist, the only FDA-approved asthma inhaler available over the counter. So whether you need relief of symptoms at the park or at your kitchen table, Primatine Mist starts working quickly, opening up your airways to restore free breathing. <sighs> For temporary relief of mild symptoms of intermittent asthma, use Primatine Mist and breathe easy again. Available at CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens. Use as directed. The late food writer Anthony Bourdain once said that you learn a lot about someone when you share a meal together. We agree. There's something special about sitting down around a table and trying something new. A dish isn't just about experiencing a unique taste or texture, but it can be a reflection of someone else's way of life. My grandmother was always preparing stews and soups, and there was always rice puffing away in our rice cooker. And I was always there doing my homework, eating a snack, and oftentimes sort of looking over my grandmother's shoulder to see what she was doing. That's Joanne Molinaro, a lawyer in Chicago and the author of The Korean Vegan Cookbook. Molinaro is an acclaimed home cook and has amassed millions of followers on TikTok with her easy-to-follow Korean recipe videos. Looking back on her life, she wasn't always drawn to cooking, but she does have a lot of meaningful memories connected to food and family. I remember the first time my mother taught me to make sundubuchige, or silken tofu stew. That is the first dish my mother ever taught me to make, and it was because I had missed her food so much when I was in college, and I wanted to learn to make it for myself so that I never had to do without it. And so sitting and watching her do that and her showing me how to not burn the kochukaru, how to make sure that the stew turned out beautiful and fiery red, that was such a lovely experience for me. And it's one that's sort of embedded throughout my cookbook. Molinaro started cooking much more regularly in 2016 when she moved to a plant-based diet and found it hard to find satisfying takeout options. When most people today think of Korean food, they instantly imagine Korean barbecue or beef bulgogi. But in fact, there's much more to the menu than meat offerings. There are a lot of cultures throughout the world that did have to survive without meat and have done a pretty remarkable job of doing just that. And Korea is no exception to that rule. Meat eating was something that's very new advent to Korean cuisine. And, you know, even in my own household, we weren't rich by any means. Therefore, we only went to Korean barbecue on very special occasions like high school graduation, you know, or a birthday party or something like that. Molinaro grew up in the U.S., but her parents are originally from North Korea and lived through decades of food insecurity. Meat was hard to come by, so many Koreans survived on cheap grains and vegetables. My parents grew up, you know, at a time in Korea's history that was very, very desperate. They were torn apart by war, and there was a great deal of poverty and hunger, quite literal hunger. And that was certainly so much a part of my parents' childhood. I don't think it was until they were probably in their 30s where they had anything that resembles food security. 
Prior to that, every single day was sort of a struggle to make sure that they could survive with the food that they had. So I don't think that's atypical of many people's experience of food in Korea. So food first before anything in their mind is about survival. Food first is functional. It's about ensuring that there are enough calories to eat to make it to the next day. I don't think that that experience can ever be erased from my parents' bones. That's something that's built into them. And so that's very much a part of how they view food and how I think food is still viewed in Korea as a country. Korean cuisine is made up of a few common ingredients that can be used across several different dishes. This makes it relatively inexpensive if you go to the right places and buy items in bulk. There are a lot of ingredients that you are going to purchase directly from a Korean grocery store. And for me, I feel like the Korean grocery store is often the cheapest place for me to get my groceries. We're talking about pretty humble ingredients, rice pretty much a staple of the Korean pantry. You really can't have a Korean meal most of the time without rice. I like to eat tofu. Tofu is, I think, a very budget-friendly item that we've been talking about. Soy sauce. Most people already have soy sauce in their pantry, and if you don't, there's so many different kinds at a variety of different prices. It's kind of like olive oil. You can get sort of your everyday kind and then maybe splurge on the ones that you save for really special dishes. It's the same sort of thing with soy sauce, vegetable stock. I mean, these are things that I think are pretty budget-friendly. So what are some other popular ingredients in Korean cuisine? Molinaro points to cabbage, radish, soybeans, seaweed, and more. She says stews and soups are prevalent because they're easy to throw together and inexpensive. It's very typical that every meal, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, has rice, and a little bit of tinjang jjigae or tinjang buk, which is tinjang stew or tinjang soup. Tinjang is fermented soybean paste, and it is a flavor that is sort of inveigles its way into almost every single dish, I feel like, in Korean cuisine. So it's a very, very familiar flavor to the Korean palate. And the tinjang jjigae is a very simple to make. It comes together very quickly, but it just has this wonderful ability to bind all of the other things on the Korean table in a way that's very hearty and satisfying. So whenever I go to my mom's house and we're having dinner, Almost indubitably, there is going to be tinjang jjigae already on the stovetop. In addition to rice and vegetables, tofu is another common ingredient used in Korean dishes. While you may not think of tofu as the most delectable dish, Molinaro argues that if it's cooked right, it makes for a fantastic addition that can take on many different flavors. I think many people view tofu merely as a meat alternative or a sad alternative to, you know, grilled meat or chicken or beef. But for me, tofu had its own place. It was its own thing. It had nothing to do with, oh, we can't eat meat, so we'll eat tofu. Tofu has been done in so many different beautiful, flavorful, delicious ways. And often paired with any main dish is, of course, kimchi. The salty, tangy side is usually made with fermented cabbage or radish covered in fish sauce, garlic, ginger, onion, and spicy seasoning. Since Molinaro is vegan, she spent many hours perfecting a new kimchi recipe without fish sauce or shrimp paste. The biggest test for me was whether she would approve of my kimchi. 
And for many Korean Americans, kimchi is very synonymous with the Korean part of their identity, and that was certainly the case for me. So veganizing a kimchi recipe was a huge challenge and one that I really wanted to save for the cookbook. People have been asking me for my kimchi recipe for years, and I was like, you know what, I really want it to be shared in the cookbook. So the other day, my mom was eating some of the leftover kimchi that I'd made for the cookbook, and she's eating it, and she's like, looking at me, she's like, Joanne, this is excellent, and it made me so happy, but what even made me happier is when she said, you know what, I think I'm just going to use this recipe going forward instead of the one that she's been making pretty much all of her life. That is very rewarding for any Korean daughter. In fact, Molinaro is already ramping up to impress her family and friends once again this holiday season. Some of her more festive dishes are traditional Korean recipes, while others are combined flavors of American-Korean culture. One dessert she's particularly proud of is her pecan pot pie featuring a mix of sugary pecans paired with red bean paste, a subtly sweet ingredient popular in Korean desserts. My parents are typically like, oh, you know, American desserts are a little too sweet for us. You know, we prefer something like rice cakes. And when they tried this pecan pot pie, they were absolutely amazed because it really was just this perfect melding of, you know, Korean cuisine plus American cuisine that they too have grown to appreciate living as immigrants. When asked what dish she can't go without for special occasions, she says there's one noodle-based main course that always has a spot at the table. Chapche is the glass noodle dish. It's a glass, you know, sweet potato vermicelli dish, and it's so colorful and bright. You see all the colors of the rainbow represented in this dish because it's made with red bell peppers, yellow bell peppers, green bell peppers. You've got the earthiness of the mushrooms. You've got the incredible umami of the soy sauce and the onions. I like to use purple onions to, again, give it sort of that wonderful color and texture as well as that zip. And chapche is you know, a little bit of a labor of love because unlike a lot of stir-fries, you got to stir-fry each vegetable by itself so that they retain their flavor in this really wonderful noodle dish that comes together. So a lot of times it's the dish that I ask for when it's my birthday, certainly on Thanksgiving or Christmas. I wouldn't go without one of those without seeing chapche on that table. So this holiday season... Maybe try experimenting with some new flavors and ingredients. The family and friends sitting around your table might just enjoy the interesting infusion of culture as they try something different this year. To find out more about our guest, Joanne Molinaro, visit viewpointsradio.org. You can get her cookbook, The Korean Vegan, in bookstores and online. For more behind-the-scenes, search viewpointsradio.org on Facebook and Twitter. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. More than 80% of people say that vision is the most important sense. So why do about half of us skip our annual eye exam? Dr. Valerie Sheedy Pallone, optometrist and vice president of eye care solutions at VSP Vision Care, shares why you should book a comprehensive eye exam, even if your eyes feel fine. Comprehensive eye exams are more than just visual correction. They can also help detect signs of underlying chronic health conditions like diabetes, 
which show no obvious symptoms, especially in its early stages, which is why catching these diseases sooner with the help of an eye exam is so crucial. Your eye doctor can tell you more about your overall health than you may ever know. We do that by dilating your pupils or using non-invasive technology to look at the blood vessels in the back of your eye. VSP Vision Care is the only not-for-profit vision benefits company in the U.S. and has been a leader in health-focused vision care. Schedule a comprehensive eye exam with an eye doctor today. It's easy to find one near you at VSP.com. That's VSP.com. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. With the success of Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and Game of Thrones, every studio dreams of launching a huge, successful fantasy franchise. It's the reason we've gotten a number of mediocre King Arthur movies, as well as a bunch of Clash of the Titans-style CGI fests. But Dune was always different. Dune, a novel published by Frank Herbert in 1965, actually served as inspiration for a number of the more successful fantasy and sci-fi epics, including Star Wars and The Matrix. But it was long believed to be unfilmable. David Lynch tried in the 1980s to mixed results at best, and it has sort of been in development hell for decades ever since. But when Denis Villeneuve decided to take it on, people were rightfully excited. He had proven he could do stunning visuals and bonkers sci-fi well with Blade Runner 2049, and he showed that he had uniquely universal storytelling chops with Sicario, Arrival, and a number of other films. After long delays due to the pandemic, Denis Villeneuve's Dune was finally released last month, And it's awesome. With gorgeous visuals, unimaginable scale, an incredible Hans Zimmer score, and a star-studded cast that puts other star-studded casts to shame, Dune has captured the imaginations of people around the world and brought them into the universe first imagined by Frank Herbert all those years ago. The movie managed to turn in impressive box office receipts despite the ongoing pandemic and the fact that the movie was released on HBO the same day it entered theaters. Now, the sky is the limit for the Dune universe. What was previously considered unfilmable now has a hit movie that promises to be in contention come award season, a greenlit sequel set for release in 2023, and an HBO Max spin-off series that's in development as well. So if you like fantasy series, worlds with deep mythology, or just keeping up with the zeitgeist, Dune is a must-watch. Dune is now in theaters, and it will be streaming on HBO Max through November 21st. I'm Evan Rook. Did you know that United Healthcare helps connect you to doctors and therapists with 24-7 access to virtual care? So I could have therapy from my couch? Yep. Or a doctor appointment from my car? If you wanted to. Wait, you're right. I don't even like when people see me sing in the car. Couch appointment it is. Virtual visits are just one of the ways United Healthcare helps connect you to better health. Learn more at UHC.com. Plan benefits may vary. Whether you're vaccinated or not, it's important to know the symptoms of COVID and its variants. 
Fever is the leading sign and only the Exergen temporal scanner thermometer has been proven accurate with more than 100 clinical studies. Non-contact thermometers have no clinical evidence behind them and cannot be relied on. Be vigilant and seek medical advice at the first sign of fever. Be accurate with Exergen. Learn more at exergen.com. That's exergen.com. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows and find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.